0: This is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts Mike Pate and Keith Black Trudeau. That's it, baby, the foul! Now I'll put it in the front page, back page, middle page, wherever. Headliners, column one or two. We will win game two. We will
1: win game two. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. And at one of the guards in his third year from McNeese State. Joe
0: Mars. Joe Mars. I, I love hearing that. The great
1: Ken Cal. That that was his signature call. I'll never get tired of it. Uh,
0: you know, I, does Mason do that? When if it has, did Mason ever have a chance to? When did he start? Two
1: thousand uh, two. I want to say he was the. They brought him in. Uh, the first year that they changed the colors back from teal to red, white, and blue. Okay. I, th- I want to say that was his first uh, season as full-time uh, P- uh public address announcer. Ah,
0: so we never got to hear Mason called for Joe Dumars, at least. Uh, no, as he a, not he, as a he did a pretty
1: cool one for Grant Hill, though. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, when Grant Hill was at the Palace uh, last season uh mason did a shout out and he he did his own custom great hill introduction oh i thought it was pretty neat yeah i would have liked to have heard that Uh, well welcome back
0: to uh bad boys and beyond hey do we really need to introduce ourselves anymore you guys know who we are it's it's, uh it's it's mike payton it's it's keith Black uh i just introduced ourselves again so uh obviously today we are going to be covering uh the The great Joe Dumars on our fiftieth episode. This is what the one everybody was looking for, but before we do that, let's hear let's hear Mason call
1: that.
0: That's great. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yes, our fiftieth episode. I can't believe we made it this far. uh you know, we started this uh jeez, oh, um, I don't even remember when we started at this point uh was it what June or something of last year It was just
1: ju- I want to say it was just after the draft because in in two weeks it'll be our full year, year anniversary okay, yeah, that's so that, uh, that that actually works out. I think it, our first podcast was just after last season's draft,
0: I think you're right, yeah and uh and then you know here we here we are uh we're still going strong and thank you for everyone uh thank you to everyone for for listening to the show and uh looking forward to getting to episode 100 we'll uh we'll be there before you know it but here we are 50 joe dumars this is a huge episode this is one that we talked about for for forever i mean we 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 wanted to hold off on this one because we knew how special this episode was and uh you know this is going to be part one of a two-part series. There will be a second part to Joe Dumars where we talk strictly about his front office uh, time, which is going to be um, there's going to be some yelling, uh, there's going to be some some celebrating. There's going to be a, a roller coaster of emotions on that on that second episode. But this one is going to be strictly about Joe Dumars, the player, mixed in with us. Uh, we'll sprinkle in some front office stuff at the end. Uh, because obviously as everyone knows that was his next move Um, before we get started uh last week when we uh before we got into the 2007 nba draft we talked about uh geez when are the pistons going to hire a head coach is it ever going to happen and then we were like oh you know kevin ollie he can't be too bad right we wish it was monty williams but if it's kevin ollie i mean how bad could it be and then the very next day they hire Monty Williams and I could not be more happy with this selection. And uh, I, I'm just so stoked. So psyched to have a, like a head coach that everyone wanted uh, coaching my team. It's just, I just haven't felt this way ever. I mean, I can't, I mean, I can't remember a time when, when something like this happened.
1: Yeah. Of, of all the coaches that were available on the market, this summer monty williams was that was my dream pick i know mike bootenholzer won a championship a couple of years ago uh nick same with nick nurse the uh two years before that but monty williams has had success both as a coach of an elite team and as a builder of a team and i think that's the most important thing uh mike bootenholzer for instance great coach but he's had two stops in his career and in both instances he's taken over a veteran team that was already good and he turned them into borderline great which is look that's impressive that's very hard to do in the NBA but that's not where the Pistons are the Pistons uh, as they stand currently are coming off being the worst team in the entire league look we can all argue that they have more talent than that uh, currently on their roster but the bottom line is they haven't shown it on the court the results have are, are not there and that's his job to take this team exactly what he did with the Suns when he took the Suns over they were the worst team in the league and he took them to near 500 team of respectability in year one and in year two they went out and got Chris Paul and everything clicked and you know they nearly won a championship out of it so I, I'm looking forward to see what Monty Williams does with this team I I Love everything about him. I love the uh, the respect that he commands around the league in the locker room. I I love the way that his teams play. Yes, he said Chris Paul in both of his uh, previous stops. Hopefully, that does not continue because Chris Paul makes forty some million and he's almost he's pushing forty years old. So that, that I don't think that would be a great fit. But even without Chris Paul, if you look at that first year in Phoenix, he didn't have Chris Paul. I think he had Javon Carter at the point. And they were still a, a very respectable team. I, I don't think – and here's the cool thing. I think Cade Cunningham, the way that he sees the floor, there's probably three or four guys in the league that, that see the floor like Chris Paul does, and I think Cade's one of them. So I think there's actually a tremendous fit here. Do I think they'll win more games because Monty Williams is the head coach next season? I, I think maybe there might be one or two games where we say, oh hey, Monty Williams, he made that that genius uh, adjustment before or during the game that that got him this win we didn't expect him to get. But you know, overall, I I, I wouldn't look the ceiling for this team, barring some major uh offseason splash, is still the plan. I think the plan is the best anyone can expect uh, from this team next season. We can all hope for better, but I think it's realistic to expect that they're at if they don't make the play-in, they're contending for it right? uh, in mid to late April or mid to late March to early April. That that's all I want to see meaningful basketball. I want to see the Pistons still in the playoff race within at least two weeks to, uh, to go in the season. I think that would that that would be the minimum that I would expect for a success next season
0: okay yeah no i'm i'm in sounds good to me i would love to at least make the play in but um you know i understand that a lot has to happen before that can go down i do think that when you bring in a guy like monty williams i think you you make your free agency uh i think that's going to be a lot easier for the for the pistons i think you know the the that's that's gonna, you know, a free agent is gonna look at the Pistons and see Monty Williams and, and even Steven Silas there. I know that Silas didn't do that great as a head coach, but was a phenomenal assistant coach for years. Um
1: 20 years you guys yeah. as an assistant coach. So and very very well regarded.
0: Right. So you see that head you see that coaching staff, and you think, well, geez, I'd like to play for them. Mm-hmm. Plus this young and up-and-coming team, even though Yes, they had the worst record in the NBA. They are, I think, they're still viewed as a young, up and coming team. Uh, so yeah, well, and I and I, I, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I think this is the key to getting Devin Booker back home. Uh, I I think this is how you get Devin Booker to Detroit right here, because Booker loves him some Monty Williams, and anytime you see Booker in public, he's wearing a Pistons hat or a Lions yeah. hat or a Red Wings hat. I mean, the guy regards home is it's a great place i don't know i look don't don't hold your breath everybody but it's very possible uh no i think i love this i i i'm just so happy that uh that they that they did this so if they can go out and get cam whitmore to top it all off uh or trade that pick for something you know worthwhile then uh then i'll be happy
1: yeah, I have kind of settled in on on, on Williams at, at at the fifth pick. Even if Cam Whitmore is available, I I don't dislike Cam Whitmore uh, necessarily. I just I, I see a high ceiling with him, but I also see a very low floor because he struggles to to see the game at even a college level at at the moment from the body of work that he's shown me. Look, I could be wrong, and he he could be. There's a world where he's an all star. I just I I think it's a it's a big swing on him, but I think I don't think it's a very high percentage swing. I think I think Jaris Williams, I it is hard for me to see a world where Jairus Williams is not an impact player in the NBA. He does so many things so well right now. I don't see a world where he's an all-star, but it's not like those guys grow on trees. At at five, I, I'm fine with not taking a big swing. I am fine with taking a guy that I'm relatively certain will make an impact. Uh, immediately and, and still have a the upside of a very good starter just maybe not an all-star
0: yeah uh i am just you know i look at whitmore and i see a guy that skies to the rim and, and i just see a fun player but uh but we'll we'll see we'll see we're coming around the the corner to that um Couple more things to talk about before we we jump into Joe Dumars. Did you happen to watch the Bill Walton Thirty for Thirty? Because I did not, and uh, if so, should I be watching it?
1: First off, even if I hadn't seen it, it it is a Bill Walton documentary. Yeah. I, I I would watch Bill Walton comment on Hamlet for two hours. He did. He is just such an eminently entertaining individual. Uh, it's so full of joy which is astonishing for a guy that has had 75 back surgeries in his life and another, like, 30 knee surgeries. He's had both knees replaced. It, it, it's pretty crazy how much pain and how many surgeries that that man has had to go through for 70-plus years of life, and he, he still is the happiest guy in every room he walks into. Now, to answer your question, I did watch part of It's four parts. They 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 released part two or parts one and two last night, and parts uh, three and four will premiere uh, a week from last night. I saw part one. Uh, My wife had to go to bed early, so we stopped before part two so we could watch it together. Because my wife, being a redhead, huge Bill Walton fan. Uh, yeah. So I I absolutely love part one. It, It went about what you would expect. Uh, he went over his his very successful uh, college career at UCLA, his his amateur career. It is crazy. I didn't even know here that he he suffered his first ACL tear in high school. Like his injury started that early, it was pretty crazy. Unreal. But yeah, I, if parts two, three, and four are are anywhere near as good as part one was, I cu- I could not recommend this enough. Uh, we are we were long overdue for a Bill Walton documentary. So I said on Twitter. Bill Walton for a a brief period was the best basketball player on earth. And I think it's indisputable and he didn't wear the crown for very long, but he absolutely wore it. Uh, There are very few players that have ever been able to say that they were the best player on planet earth for any amount of time. Bill Walton was one of them. I think he's an amazing uh, character. He's unique. And the way he played the game isn't too dissimilar from how Nikola Jokic plays the game. It's just that Walton had so many knee surgeries. You you really didn't see him move around. But I I you see footage of him at like seven foot four, uh, at UCLA running the floor, handling the ball. It, it's amazing what he could do. But yeah, I I, I would definitely recommend it.
0: Yeah, it was it, well since it's four parts. I decided to uh I I, I just want to watch it all in in one sitting, and I'll just wait for the other two parts to come out. I watched uh last night a phenomenal phenomenal documentary called stand uh about mahmoud abdul Rauf. um uh, i highly recommend it to anybody it was on showtime so you gotta have showtime to watch it but if you do uh so good uh there were other were things i didn't i never knew that he had tourette's i don't know did you know yeah. that i never knew that well, No, it
1: was visible hey. To anyone, that now watched, I see it. to anyone that watched him play basketball oh yeah it was very clear the yeah. the involuntary uh movements that yeah yeah it was it, you you didn't need to be told that he had um an issue because you know anytime there was a timeout or anytime where they weren't playing basketball like there was a there was a stoppage in play like you you would see it yeah and it was Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, uh, one of the most unique players uh, of the nineteen nineties. Today, he would be he would fit right in. There, there was players like Mahmoud. but you know, back in the nineties, he he was very much a he uh, he he stood out like a sore thumb the way he played the game. It, it was he he was born probably thirty years too early. He he would have fit right in today.
0: Yeah, absolutely tragic what happened. To him, you know the way that he was treated, and uh, yeah, I mean it's some stuff in there that's very difficult to watch, but it's uh, it's a it's a a triumph in the end. So I I definitely recommend watching that. And then all right, one last thing before we get into Joe, uh, I personally had uh, a, a real big week. Um, I announced that uh, I after ten years of work, uh, just busted my ass. I finally, uh, took on a full-time role as a writer with, uh, A to Z sports. I will be covering the Detroit lions there full-time. Uh, super happy about it. I, I mean, uh, it, it, bliss. I, I'm feeling bliss at this moment, to be honest. Uh, and I just want to thank everybody on Twitter and Facebook and who had such kind words and congrats and saying things, you know, such nice things. Uh Uh, thank you thank you to each and every one of you and uh i look forward to continuing to to give you guys as much lions content as you can handle and uh yeah i'm super excited thank you again so keith let's do this let's get into joe Dumars. uh let's go all the way back to some college called mcneese state
1: have yeah, you ever heard of it? So, <laughs> honestly, if Joe hadn't gone there, I, I still would probably would never have heard of it. Um, So Joe Dumar is a Louisiana kid. Solid high school career, not anything outstanding. G- gets his uh, D1 offer from from Little McNeese State, uh very near where he grew up. And immediately, look, he was a four-year starter there. They were never a good team in any of his years there. Uh, Never came close to sniffing the NCAA tournament, Uh, but it wasn't because Joe wasn't very good. 2,612 points uh, over four years. His final two years averaged 24, 26 points a game. Uh, Especially his senior year, I think, uh, is what got him uh, is what got NBA scouts uh, looking at him. Uh, Twenty-six points, five rebounds, four assists, playing point guard, running at, the whole offense was running through him, and it got the attention of a longtime Pistons scout named Will Robinson, uh, who I think was in his late seventies uh, at that point, early eighties, had just been a scout for the Pistons. Well. In general, he had been a basketball scout for pretty much his entire life. Uh, amazing guy. He he was with the Pistons until his 90s, and th- this was this is generally credited by with being uh, Will Robinson's uh, big discovery because he was the guy that really pushed the Pistons to to take him in the first round of the NBA draft. It's not like nobody would have picked him, but to the average fan, Joe Dumars was essentially a nobody. I I doubt many Pistons fans at the time even knew who that who he was when they picked him with the 18th selection in the first round of the 1985 draft. But his his numbers look if you if you go back and watch the the footage of the 85 draft, as soon as they start talking about him, like they, for, first of all, it's it's interesting because they talk about him in terms of a of a scoring point guard, not a two guard, because that's what his role was that's all anyone knew about him is that he was a big point guard that scored a lot of points. And it, it's interesting to see how, how that dynamic fits uh, with the Pistons long-term, but yeah, they they bring up immediately that he's one of the greatest scores in, in the history of college basketball at the time that he left McNeese state. Like it, this isn't, you know, just some guy that got hot for one year, uh, he wasn't a fluke. He was, he was a very good player for his entire college career.
0: Is there, it seems like the Pistons are like, at least in this time period, were the team that was able to find players from colleges that you had never really heard of, you know, Joe Dumars from McNeese state, Dennis Robin from Southeastern Oklahoma state, uh, Hampton Institute, Rick Mahorn, um, uh, Detroit mercy for John Long. Uh what else we got? There's there's just that a was, whole bunch of stuff. There's uh um, the
1: John Long thing was Dick Vitale uh drafting hit the the guys that he had that he coached in, at U of D. That right. was Terry Tyler and John Long. That was that, that that was the connection there. Al, Wait, Al,
0: well, Alcorn State or Jackson State for Lindsey Hunter.
1: <laughs> right. Yep. Uh yeah. Jack McCloskey I think the best that I can say about his draft analysis is that he didn't care. I don't think he prided himself on going to to small schools for talent, you know, certainly getting Isaiah out of Indiana or John Sally out of Georgia Tech or uh, Kelly Trupuka out of Notre Dame, which they were a powerhouse. But yeah, as you said, he also got for out of Little McNeese State. I, I think that's the best you could say about his draft analysis is that he didn't care if you went to a big school or a small school. I think he was effectively able to, to take that out of the picture and just judge you on your value as a player.
0: So uh, there, now there is one, one other player who was, uh, went to McNeese state and played in the NBA. Can you guess who that player is? You won't.
1: Is it, is it TR Brown?
0: Yes. You're probably, is that because you can see my tab up here? I don't, believe it or not
1: i just <laughs> I, I just now looked at your tab yes it's there but I, I never looked at it
0: yes it is Tierra brown he uh he played for the rockets the Cavs, the hornets lakers um uh, and then you know a bunch of
1: yeah yeah like, I, I do remember him being in the league forever i but i yeah i was kind of spitballing whether or not he actually got an nba look he did okay
0: he was actually the g league mvp in two thousand four. Believe it or not. Yeah, he
1: he was yeah he was like a G League lifer. Yeah, I that I, I'll be honest with you, I did not know that. That was a guess. That was the best educated guess I could give you.
0: So uh, as we as you mentioned already, Dumars' 18th pick in the 1985 draft, he comes out and he's got some competition in front of him for uh, in his rookie year, but overall, uh, winds up having a pretty decent year.
1: Okay, so this is a very interesting season for the Pistons. A very transitional season. They're just coming off their what was their most successful season in Detroit, where they they swept the Nets, they got out of the first round, and then they gave the Celtics, who are the defending champions, a, a hell of a fight in the second round with Vinnie Johnson really coming into his own on a national stage. So the the plan to start next season was to start Isaiah and Vinnie Johnson together, and it just didn't work. Uh, Vinnie was no nowhere near as effective as a starter because he didn't get this. He, the ball needs to go through Vinnie Johnson if Vinnie Johnson's in the game, and if it goes through him, then it's not going through Isaiah. And I think they just had too many. You can't have them on the court for forty minutes a game together. It just it's not as good. And well, the ne- the next thing that they tried, uh, the guy that you just mentioned. John Long, they tried starting John Long and bringing Vinny off the bench like uh, how he was. But John Long was kind of losing a step at that point, and that wasn't working. So the Pistons, who had sky-high expectations coming into this season, uh, they're not just struggling. They're straight-up bad. Uh, Halfway through the season, 38 games into the season, they're 17-21, and and they're in danger of either – finishing at the end of the at at the bottom of the eastern playoff race or possibly missing the playoffs altogether They're, they're just in a tailspin so john long gets hurt not seriously hurt but john long gets hurt i want to say in january early january and he has to miss about a week and rather than starting vinnie johnson again chuck daly elects to start joe dumars who at that point was he was playing but he was playing bit minutes coming off the bench he was essentially, you know, the fourth guard on a four-guard team, and Joe Dumars makes an immediate impression. Scores twenty points, uh, starting his first game. Twenty points, eight assists. The the Pistons beat Denver, and Denver was a very good team. And the the game after that was their arguably their their showcase game of the entire season, which was CBS game of the week at home against the LA Lakers. The Lakers were thirty-five and six at that time, and Joe Dumars' second straight start as a rookie, eighteen points, eleven assists, one of the best players on the floor, plays excellent defense against Magic Johnson, and the Pistons win. They went on a Kelly with three at the buzzer, but the point is they win, and that's what they did for the rest of for the second half of that season, uh, with Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas as the starting guards. Pistons finished the season 29 and 15, 40, 14 games over 500 versus being a sub 500 team before that. And Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas were would be the starting backcourt for the Pistons for the next nine seasons. They, they were never broken up again. It was just, a, it was a match made in heaven because unlike Vinny, uh, Joe did not need the ball in his hands. Joe, Joe specialized in being an excellent defender uh, having a background as a point guard, he could move the ball. Uh, being a scorer, a, an excellent jump shooter, he could play off the ball. When Isaiah needed to rest, Joe could take over in, in stretches, and the offense wouldn't miss a beat. It was just, it was just such a great combination between those two. And we probably won't get into this later, so I'll say it now. It, it's really between Steph and Clay Thompson and Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas for the the greatest backcourt in NBA history. I'll, I'll give it to Steph and Clay because of, of the mass amount of success that they piled up. But if someone were to tell me they believe Joe and Isaiah are the greatest backcourt of all time, I honestly couldn't argue. Just the, the incredible chemistry that they had uh, as a duo, uh, it, it really was something else. It's something you'd have to watch them for a whole season to appreciate, because neither guy was was throwing lobs to the other. It was just just beautiful, tactical X's and O's.
0: Speaking of uh, backcourt and not to get too off the point here, but uh a little breaking news. Chris Paul has just been waived by the Suns. So oh, pre order well, you, your pre order your actually comes the pistons
1: now. <laughs> pre order your pistons,
0: Chris Paul jersey. <laughs> that, that,
1: for, that 40 million doesn't matter anymore. So nope. yeah, I would
0: oh, I, man.
1: I I would welcome Chris Paul as a third guard. Sure.
0: I'm I you gotta love to have a leader in the clubhouse. Uh all right. Uh, all right. Move, all right. Move, so moving on. All right.
1: Yeah. All right. So let, let me finish uh, one part about Joe's uh, rookie season. Yeah. D- despite not even being in the rotation for half the season, uh, Joe Dumars is still voted to the first All. They only had one all rookie team back then. There was no second, third team. There was just one and, and Joe actually made it despite not even averaging 10 points of the season. it, that's how obvious his, his on-court impact was to the rest of the league. And I find well, – here's what I find interesting is that he was voted to the five-player all-rookie team despite seven players getting votes for Rookie of the Year, and he was not one of them. Now, I'm going to go down the list of players that got Rookie of the Year votes instead of Joe Dumars. Uh, and you t- you give me your take. All right, here the obvious, the winner, Patrick Ewing. All right, uh second place, Xavier McDaniel. Okay. Uh third place, Carl Malone. It's a pretty good rookie class. Yeah. All right. Now fourth place, Spud Webb.
0: Okay.
1: Fifth place, fifth place, uh, Charles Oakley. Okay, that's uh, okay. All right. Uh, sixth place, uh Manute Bowl.
0: Well, okay, come on.
1: And and coming in last, but at least he got a vote. Uh one Benoit Benjamin of the L.A. Benoit Clippers. Benjamin? Somebody voted for Benoit Benjamin? Someone voted Benoit Benjamin for Rookie of the Year. It had to be a,
0: a Clippers beat writer, right? Has this, is be. a
1: first, this is a first
0: place vote. Someone voted
1: him for Rookie of the Year.
0: That's like this season when uh Bancaro almost had a unanimous rookie of the year, but a jazz uh beat writer voted for Walker Kessler. It's like It's such a like Benoit Benjamin. Seriously, I I had a decent (laughs) career, like a okay player, but not. You know he doesn't belong in that group. I mean, he
1: was he he made the original NBA Jam roster. You got to give him that.
0: I do. Yeah, I do. I I suppose instead of Gary
1: Payton, they they put him next to Sean Kemp for some amazing reason that I'll never fathom.
0: Bill Clinton's on that game too, isn't he? Well,
1: as a I think. I think the um the secret characters were in tournament edition. I could be wrong.
0: Okay. The didn't man the go- didn't,
1: didn't the unlockable players start with the second version or was it the original?
0: I can't remember. I know that eventually there was like a hundred yeah, unlockable Clinton, players. Clinton.
1: Yeah, there was yeah, there was a whole lot of players. Celebrities and characters, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Keith would know he has an NBA jam machine right behind him.
1: Uh, oh, I, I have I have better news than that. This is this is the arcade one-up replica behind yes, me. Yes. I actually recently purchased an original NBA Jam Tournament Edition machine. What? Well, hey, you know where to send that arcade one-up. I, I, I got a fantastic deal on it. Unfortunately, it is actually probably not. 25 miles from where you are is nowhere near where i am in south carolina so it may be until next year before you actually see that thing in my living room but i but i it is in a it is being held in in safe storage for me uh so uh, in upward parts of uh, central uh michigan
0: well you know keith another you know another safe place to keep it is right here in my office i'll play it for a year until you come pick it up um i'm dead serious <laughs> i'll go get it right now i don't think it'll fit in the back of the bronco but we'll make it work somehow i'll, I'll tie it to the top that thing's probably weighs like oh five, yeah original pounds.
1: arcade cabinets are heavy yeah yeah
0: uh all right so uh let's get into the uh the bad boys ears. really when pistons uh when, when joe dumars really starts to come into his own um uh, when when do you when do you start seeing that he's you know he's a legitimate all nba type of guy i mean he doesn't make the all nba till later but when does he start to show that he's he's a legit player
1: here's the interesting thing all right so second season starts he's obviously in the starts the season in the lineup uh, his numbers take a small bump but he's still only averaging you know 12 points 5 assists, uh, just about he he's not He's not Joe Dumar's yet. It's still Isaiah's ball. It's still Isaiah's team. Uh, But the interesting thing is in the playoffs, his averages actually go up a little bit. Averages, you know, 13 points, uh, about four and a half assists. Shoots over 53% from the floor for the playoffs. That is just outstanding for a guy that lives on jump shots. But I think the point where the NBA world started to take notice that he could be special, not just a role player. Was in Game Seven of the '87 Conference Finals when Adrian Dantley and Vinnie Johnson famously concussed each other diving for a loose ball. And they both had to leave, and the, the Pistons were essentially crippled. And the, the Celtics were in control, took control of the game from that point. Uh, Joe Dumars, of all people, the second-year guard steps up, has one of the best games of his life, scores 35 points uh, along with six assists. Shoots fifteen for twenty-one from the floor, just just an unbelievable shooting performance for Joe in that game, given the pressure. And the Pistons do lose by a few points, but if it weren't for him, they would have gotten blown out. Uh, he he single-handedly kept them in the, in the game in that second half. uh, when they when they started losing people, that was, and, and and the entire nation saw that. And here here's the, we we get into what ifs. Uh, it was at that point where. Other teams, like other GMs, started to take notice, and they 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 tried like hell to pluck Joe Dumars out of Detroit because the it the common um, theory back then is that you couldn't win championships with with two star guards. Like you had to have one dominant guard and one complementary guard, and every other GM in the league saw Joe Dumars as a dominant guard that was being held back. And then, that maybe they could trade one of their big men for him because everyone was in love with trading uh, for big men. Uh, Houston offered Ralph Sampson for Joe Dumars. They were shot down. Uh, Phoenix offered Larry Nance uh, for Joe Dumars along with Jeff Hornacek. They got shot down. There were were probably five or six different offers that I'm I'm not even aware of that teams were offering all-star caliber big men for Joe Dumars. And, Look, Jack McCloskey's always willing to listen. That's why they called him, you know, Trader Jack. But in this case, Joe was a player that he simply couldn't bring himself to part with because he saw that Joe was special just like everybody else. And he, I think he also saw that the Pistons could absolutely win a championship uh, with the offense being dominated by two guards.
0: Well, I mean, he was right about that. Uh, so... Once we get into the uh, the later 80s Michael Jordan and the Bulls are are this team on the rise and Jordan is obviously I mean he's he's one of the great, he's one of the best players in the league already. Uh, he's already winning a scoring title. I'm sorry Scotty Pippen I know you disagree for some odd reason but he was really good before you got there. Um I know that's so last week to even bring up but
1: very much uh, yeah.
0: But anyways, um taking shots at Scotty Pippen over here uh there was one man who now keith Keith said i'm not al- allowed to say that he stopped michael jordan uh but i can say that he contained him with help and that's joe dumars i think i i think okay let's put it this way in the 80s no one guarded michael jordan better than joe dumars can we at least say that
1: oh i totally agree michael jordan okay. himself said that
0: okay uh yeah, so there you go. I mean, it, it, the, the Jordan rules were created, and the anchor of the Jordan rules was was Joe Dumars. And why do you think Joe was able to hang with Jordan better than everybody else?
1: It, I, I love talk, talking about Joe's defense uh, in his prime, at least, because if you look at Joe, six foot three, stocky build, not terribly athletic. I think he had two dunks in his entire career, and they were both barely above the rim not very tall for a guard or for a, uh, for a, for a two guard. And yet he was well-known around the league as one of the toughest perimeter defenders. And I'm going to tell you why it's because his focus was unbelievable. His people would call it defensive IQ today, but as a ball handler, there is nothing, absolutely nothing more unnerving to you than a, a defender that stays in front of you the entire time. Uh, not a guy that lunges for the ball, that tries to swat every shot, but just a guy that does not allow you to go forward when you want to go forward. Try uh, for a pick and roll. Joe Dumars will get a, find a way to get around the pick, and he will be in front of you when you get it to the other side. Uh, do as many crossovers as you want. Joe Dumars is going to anticipate what direction you're going to go. It, it, he frustrated the hell out of uh, not just Jordan, but guys like Reggie Miller, uh, Drazin Petrovich, just the, the Clyde Drexler on occasion. The, the best of the best. No one could find a way to exploit Joe Dumars, uh, because Joe would make you take shots that you don't. That he wanted you to take. He would never let you take the shots that you wanted to take. His intention, his attention to detail was incredible. And look, like Michael would, he has said a lot of these very same things about Joe Dumars that. It was tough for him to get to his spots because Joe knew what his spots were, and he would he would always block his path. Uh, that that that's really the secret about what made Joe Dumars a terrific defender.
0: And uh, and yeah, and that's you know I think the the rest of the world sort of recognized that when he made that Sports Illustrated cover of him uh, holding that that uh, that Michael Jordan cardboard cutout by its head that's uh that's a great cover. I wish I had a poster of that or at least a t-shirt to go along with my uh Moses Malone Nike poster shirt that I have or the Dr. Duncanstein shirt that I totally plan to buy soon. Um in uh in 1989, the Pistons went all the way to the NBA finals. Well, they went in 88 obviously as well, but in 89
1: If I might add uh, yeah. one footnote. I mentioned before that Joe Dumars had one of the best games of his career uh in in the game 7 loss to Boston. In, in the game, following year when they lost to LA in game 7 of the finals, he was also their leading scorer in that game with 25 points.
0: Okay. Uh maybe if he would have got, you know, one more possession and they didn't uh storm the court. <laughs> yeah, I'm bringing it up again. Uh maybe he would have had 27 points, but uh I guess we'll we'll never know, will we? Uh, but yes, they go to the NBA Finals in 89, uh, rematch against the Lakers, and he continues that same, uh, that same playoff performance that he had in, in, uh, in Game 7 of the 1988 Finals when he wins the Finals MVP. Uh, talk to me about Joe Dumars in the 89 Finals and why he won that, that MVP.
1: Yeah, the 89 season in general was was just... It was kind of a – it was a transitional season for him because this is the year where the league finally acknowledges that Joe Dumars is a very good player by himself. He was not voted an all-star, but he was voted first-team all-defense. He averaged 17.6 assists, which it was obvious to everyone that he was only averaging that few because the the Pistons were very much a, a team and there was no one guy dominating even Isaiah Thomas took a his numbers took a huge statistical hit uh, in '89 and '90. And I, I do want to mention one thing before the finals. This is kind of the quintessential "what if" game for for Joe Dumars. It is the the game where the Pistons clinched the division and the NBA's best record at the end of the season. And Isaiah Thomas, he was able to play, but he was too hurt to to play a lot of minutes. He he agreed to come off the bench, which I think is. You would never hear that today of a superstar coming off the bench. They'd either start or they just wouldn't play. But in any case, Joe Dumars is starting at point guard against the, the team with the NBA's second-best record, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and Mark Price, who was just one of the dynamic point guards of his time. And Joe Dumars just carves him up to the to the tune of 42 points and 11 assists on the road in Cleveland, 18 for 26 uh, from the floor, hit hit four of his five three-point attempts, maybe the most statistically, the most dominant performance I've ever seen him give in a regular season game. And it was one of the most important games of the season. And if for nothing else, it, it, it was a great example of what the Pistons may have looked like uh, with with Joe Dumars uh, running the offense instead of Isaiah. And we worried. Right, so we, we get into the 1989 finals, and he's averaging 27.6 assists. Keep in mind, the league hasn't acknowledged him as an all-star player yet, which is kind of funny. Shoots almost 58% from the floor. Uh, his signature game, obviously, would be game three. Had a 17-point third quarter. Uh, had that game-winning block on David Rivers when they were up three, and they ran a play to get David Rivers at corner three and Joe Dumars' who everyone thinks is unathletic uh, reaches over and tit- not only blocks the shot, but takes a second jump and saves it from going out of bounds, essentially ending the game and putting the Pistons up 3-0. And on a team where everyone just would have assumed that Isaiah Thomas would be named the Finals MVP, Joe Dumars is actually the, the first-ever Finals MVP of the first-ever Detroit Pistons championship team. And that's kind of his... I think that's his uh was his ultimate reward for sacrificing so much to be part of that team.
0: Well, he finally does become an all-star in nineteen ninety and uh the Pistons wind up going back to the NBA finals and winning again. Um and 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 not not to say that Joe had a had a worse uh final series, I think he easily could have won the finals MVP a second year. Uh, Isaiah was phenomenal, but I've always kind of felt like maybe Joe was the better player in that series, but it was the.
1: No, I, I think, I, I think Isaiah definitely deserved it in 1990. Now the the best individual game of that series. No, it was still Isaiah in game one, but the second best individual game in that series was, was game three and everyone remembers game three for two reasons. Uh, One, the Pistons breaking their 20 game or their 20 year road losing, uh, losing streak in the city of Portland. But Joe Dumars has one of the best shooting performances. He scores 33 points. And what everyone remembers about this is this is the game where his father had died that morning. And the only people that were told about it on the team were Isaiah Thomas and Chuck Daly. And they both agreed that they would wait until after the game to tell Joe. And I. Like, it's easy to say, like, he scored 33 points. He didn't know. But the the fact is that because he said that his father would have wanted him to play the next game, he, he, his father would not have wanted him to miss, you know, one of the biggest moments of his career. And he scores 26 more points in game four with that weight around him. Yeah. So I, I think that that speaks a lot to, you know, for the rest of the series, Joe wasn't great. I do I think those were the only two big, really good games he had in the series. But I think the, the both of those games, uh, they told a great story of of who Joe Dumars is. It was not only as a player but uh, as a person. But yes, I, Isaiah definitely, I think, deserved you know, the finals MVP. But I, th- I think Joe played a big part in that series as well. Not to, not to mention he was the guy that had to guard. Uh, Clyde Drexler for long stretches, which wasn't easy. Right. Well, um,
0: you know, speaking of not things that are not easy, the bad boys era is going to come to an end uh, in pretty short order after that 90s, after that 90 championship. They obviously make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals in 91. But uh, Isaiah, Blaine Beard, they're all start to deteriorate pretty early. And it becomes... Joe Dumars' team uh, throughout the mid-90s there. And he becomes an all-NBA player for the first time. Uh, talk to me uh, uh, about Joe being the new leader and, and uh, you know, the all-NBA seasons.
1: Well, I mean, te- technically his first all-NBA season was that second championship season. That was the first. But, yeah, he was named all-NBA three times. Two of the three came during the down years. And this is kind of when you see the sad irony of the the bad boys. You know, they're losing players. The players they have are not as good as they used to be. Meanwhile, Joe Dumars, he's still on the way up. Uh, He's in the very prime of his career. And as the Pistons are struggling, you see his numbers start to shoot up at the highest points they've ever been in his career. Uh, I want to especially mention 91 through 93 which I would consider the, his his peak prime. Uh, over those three years, he averaged over 21 points a game. He was an all-star every season. Uh, two of those years, he also made all-NBA. Uh, he was an all-defensive uh, selection all three of those years. Two of those years, he was first-team all-defense. And I think there were – This he was never officially named because uh, there was never a list, but there was a lot of rumors back then that if – one of the players on the dream team was unable to compete because of injury that Joe Dumars would have been the first alternate selection. It's kind of a slap in the face to Isaiah Thomas, but it's also, even taking Isaiah out of the equation, the fact that they could have picked anybody else that Isaiah, that, that Joe Dumars would have been the next guy that they called on that original dream team. That, that speaks to his status around the league at that time. Absolutely. Yep, yeah, and the Pistons, of course, everyone remembers in ninety-one they get swept by the Bulls. Ninety-two, they get eliminated in the first round. Ninety-three, they don't make the playoffs. Uh 94, Joe Dumar suffers a few injuries, and they they have the second worst record in the entire league. And that was the end of everybody on the bad boys except for Joe. And it was kind of left to Joe, who was still very good. He was still, I think, only 30 at the time. And he was kind of the, the lone uh, holdover that was tasked with shepherding this new generation of Detroit Pistons that they were getting with the, all of these high draft picks. And I think everybody remembers uh, the, the mentor role that I don't know if Grant ever saw Joe as a mentor. Uh, I, I do think that everyone kind of put him in that role when, when, the Pistons drafted Grant Hill. Everyone just looked at the roster and said, okay, we have Joe Dumars to uh, to shepherd him along. I mean, this is great. We have a, a bad boy teaching the, the the next superstar of the Detroit Pistons. And it, it kind of they they kind of had that role, but I don't know if Grant if ever took to it like everyone expected expected him to, or Joe for that matter. I don't know if Joe had any interest uh in, in being a mentor. I think he still had designs on being a player. But one player I think that it's left out in that discussion is uh, a guy by the name of Alan Houston, who we've done an entire episode on. Yes. And Alan Houston, also a lottery pick uh, for the Detroit Pistons, happens to play Joe's position <laughs> at, at, at shooting guard, and that was what everyone saw when, as soon as they drafted Alan, everybody saw the Pistons drafting Joe Dumars' eventual replacement. And once again, I don't think Joe Dumars had any interest in being replaced at the time. I think he still saw himself as, as you know, the starting two guard of the Pistons for the, next, for the rest of the decade. And I don't want to say they had a, a great relationship or an icy relationship. I honestly don't know. But I, what I do know is that uh, Joe Dumars, the unhappiest he's ever been in his career was in that 96 season, where the Pistons bounced back into the playoffs uh, with their young core for the first time since the bad boys years. Uh, but Joe Dumars came off the bench for the first time in his career, since he was a rookie, since he was out of the rotation. For the very first time he was asked to come off the bench and he did so, but he wasn't happy about it. He he came off the bench. I think the last for about a third of the season he, for 27 games, he was the third guard. They tried asking him to, be, to play point guard next to Allen Houston. They tried to ask him off, to come off the bench behind Allen Houston But it was pretty clear that they want they were grooming Allen to be the starting two guard going forward, and you know one way or the other, I I think it was pretty clear that Joe didn't want that to continue, and I'm not saying that he he pushed Allen out, but he didn't try to he wasn't exactly asking him to stick around either. So Allen Houston leaves in the summer of '96, and. Joe Dumars is now, (laughs) he's now unencumbered. He's now the starting two guard of the Detroit Pistons again uh, for the 96, 97 season, the first Teal year. And Joe Dumars is Uh, re-energized. He becomes one of the best three-point snipers in the entire league, shoots 43% from three on a pretty good volume, five attempts per game, which is a lot back then. Uh, his, His points per game, jumps right back up because he's starting every game again and he, he's happy. And you would think he, he makes the all-star team again and his contract is coming up at the end of the year. So, you know, he, he's probably seeing himself as as getting a, a payday and the problem is he's 33 years old and you know, that pay, they, they re him, but not nearly at the kind of money I think that he was expecting. And that kind of leads us to his his last couple of seasons.
0: Well, you know, similar to the Allen Houston situation, we're going to have a pretty, uh, well, si- similar for lack of a better word, sim- similar situation when Jerry Stackhouse gets to town. And it's pretty clear that Jerry would be a better starter at this point. But Joe is like put himself in this place where He's, he's like impossible to take out of the starting lineup. Um, Go in, go into that. And, and uh, yeah, let's talk about that.
1: All right. So after the Pistons have this really successful 97 season, Joe of course gets disappointed with the, the contract that he receives. Starting the next season, the very first game, very season opener, uh, Joe suffers a hamstring injury and he's out for a few weeks and the the Pistons just go in the tank. They just, they never recover. They're just in a rut that they can't dig themselves out of in the East. So one of the things that Doug Collins, who was the coach and GM at the time, one of the things that he tries to do to save his job, he goes to Philadelphia and he goes and gets Jerry Stackhouse because he sees like everybody else sees that Grant Hill is, He's forced to do entirely too much uh, creating on his own. They they need more. Uh, they needed a second star. I'll put it this way: next to him and Stackhouse, they got him for Theo Ratliff and Aaron McKee. Uh, both short, long story short, both teams came out very happy with the with the transaction. But once again, and and here's where Joe kind of becomes like a player manager because. Everyone assumed that Isaiah Thomas would be – because he was almost like the the surrogate son of Bill Davidson for most of his Pistons career. And for reasons that I won't get into, towards the end of his career, it looks – it sounds like everybody thinks he's going to take over the the team from from the GM uh, office after he retires, and that just never happens. And he's essentially banished from the organization by owner Bill Davidson – and when that happens, Joe Dumars almost becomes the next son of, of Bill Davidson, where Bill Davidson is hanging out with him. They're playing tennis together. He's essentially grooming him to do the thing that everyone thought Isaiah was going to do to the point where Joe Dumars is almost speaking on behalf of management uh, his last couple of years in the league. like he, He's that closely tied to the front office. And that presents a problem for young Jerry Stackhouse, who also plays Joe Dumars' position, but nobody in the organization, uh, not even the head coach, uh, who was Alvin Gentry at the time, has any had any authority to tell Joe Dumars he was coming off the bench. Joe had already suffered that once; he was never going to do it again. So for the next year and a half, uh, Jerry Stackhouse is coming off the bench behind Joe, and. Look, I'm not going to say Joe couldn't play anymore. Joe was a knockdown shooter until, you know, his very last season. But all of the other things that he did well, the ball handling, uh, the defense, the the playmaking, all of that was gone because he couldn't move nearly as well as he used to. He was essentially a spot-up shooter for his last year or two in the league. And that didn't matter because he was Joe Dumars and everybody knew that he was – essentially going to become the boss of the head coach as soon as he retired so the coaches weren't going to risk pissing him off so that that leaves us to that that short lock that uh lockout short in 1999 season where joe Dumars averages fewer points uh, than he did when he was coming off the bench in 96 uh still still an excellent shooter but he just wasn't getting enough Opportunities. He he couldn't get open as much. He only averaged, I think, one free throw a game. That he was pretty much on Grant Hill to create everything in that starting lineup. And if you look at their roster, the Pistons roster wasn't that bad. It's just they didn't have the chemistry. And the the sad thing is, they really should have walked over that Hawks team that they lost to in the first round. Then the the Knicks certainly walked over the Hawks in the second round. I think the Pistons would have given the Knicks a hell of a, a lot better fight than the Hawks did. But I, I, to me, I think that was a blown opportunity. And I think, think that was a little bit of of Joe's – everyone thinks Joe does, didn't have an ego. Joe absolutely had an ego. He was just very quiet about it. Uh, but, but look, if if that's the worst thing you can say about Joe Dumars is that he wanted his job so badly that he wouldn't let it go, I, I think we can all be happy with that. Uh, he, he gave us a Hall of Fame uh, career as a player for, what, 14 seasons? Uh, very dependable. Uh, never, never spoke out, (laughs) always, always did his job. He was just a consummate professional.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've got zero complaint other, you know, other than the
1: Stackhouse thing, which,
0: you know, what, what player wants to give up their spot, you know, like it's find me a player that wants to give up their spot. It, it, you know, there's not for every Mark Aguirre out there, there's, you know, there's a hundred Joe Dumars who, who don't want to lose their starting spot and I can't blame them. Um, uh, so as we all know he does retire after the 99 season uh doesn't quite make it to the 2000s uh, but he will uh soon soon thereafter join the pistons front office and that is where we'll end this portion of joe dumar's story we'll pick it up when we talk about his front office uh uh whenever that's happening i don't know when we're going to do joe dumar's part 2 but it's coming it's coming stay patient We'll all get to complain together eventually about Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva. We'll all get to that or Darko. Um, but now we go with our our two usual questions that we ask, and and that's what is Joe Dumars' legacy? And for me, I mean, it's 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 simple. He's one of the greatest Pistons of of all time, no doubt about it. Hall of Famer, one of the NBA's fifty greatest players. Um, did he make the seventy five? He did not make the seventy-five. He He did make the fifty and got a really cool jacket to prove it.
1: Joe didn't make the fifty.
0: Joe's on the fifty.
1: Did he?
0: I'm pretty sure. I, I, I'm almost. I'm almost certain. Uh, let me. Let me look it up. I I put a sworn
1: Isaiah didn't have any teammates on the
0: fifty. I could have swore he was on the. Let's
1: see. Nope. No. No. The the D's. Uh, Dave Dombrowski and Clyde Drexler. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that's my fault.
0: Everybody makes mistakes.
1: I mean, he he made he made the Pistons' fiftieth uh anniversary. Hey, let's
0: the see. There you go. That's you know uh regardless of whether or not he made it uh sweet jackets amazing jackets and uh, i wish oh, i yeah
1: yeah those jackets were were outstanding
0: i wish i had one of my own um but yeah no i mean he's one of the greatest pistons of all time You can't take that away from him even if he didn't make the nba's greatest 50 players which i gotta I could have swore he was on the court during that he was at the all-star game he was definitely at that all-star game playing uh but okay i digress uh, Keith, what do you think of Joe's legacy? What would you say it would be?
1: I, I think there's there's good argument that if Joe if Grant Hill isn't the greatest all around, just do everything player in, in Pistons history, if if it's not Grant or Isaiah, it's Joe Dumars. He was people like to judge people overall, like the the goat conversation by by just by how many points you score. Yeah, Joe Dumars didn't need that. He and the thing is, he proved over and over again that he could score in bunches when he absolutely had to for the good of the team. But the fact that he could do damn near everything—he could play either guard position, uh, he, he could play facilitator. He was such an excellent passer. Uh, in any from any angle, <laughs> he was he was so good at so many things, uh, as well as being arguably the NBA's best perimeter defender for. The better part of a decade, there there were so many things that he contributed to the Detroit Pistons franchise. Even if you only judge him as a player, there's there's so many things that I I'm not even getting. I can't even get into. I just I, I think he is the most underrated pure player in Pistons history. I, I really do because I think if you put him on all basically any other team in the league other than the bulls i i think he's averaging 25 27 points a game and 10 assists and people are talking about him as is one of the greatest players of of the 80s and 90s it's just the statistics don't show it so he doesn't get that recognition but he absolutely had that ability
0: um yeah and now could he play today I I don't see why not. I think defensively he would be.
1: Oh God, he would. I I see like, problem. I I see James Harden in the number the kind of numbers that James Harden puts up when they moved him from uh, the two guard to the to the point. And look, I Joe Dumars is not the same type of player as James Harden. He's not like a foul merchant, but it, it's just the fact that Harden could do it, and I could see Joe Dumars making that exact same kind of transition if you. Played him today, and he would almost certainly be playing point guard today. And he, you just gave him the ball and told him to to create offense, however he could do it. I, I think he he would have at his peak one or two seasons where he was averaging you know close to 25, 28. I don't want to say thirty, but in today's game, maybe he could do. Maybe he could he could average thirty points and ten assists today with plus defense. I it's hard for me to gauge just what his ceiling would be today because I think his game was so well-suited for for the modern game of of jump shooting.
0: You know, I don't recall Joe shooting a whole lot of threes. Um,
1: That's the interesting thing, is that he uh, was very much a mid-range shooter until the the, the 90s came around, and he started uh, backing out to the three-point line, behind the three-point line. Like, in his teal, it was almost a he was exclusively a three-point shooter because he would he would get you in the post every now and then but he he was starting at the three-point line like it's not like he couldn't make them it's just that he found more value and efficiency in the mid-range and it, if you look at his shooting percentages <laughs> but prior to the uh, 90s you can't really argue that his his two-point percentages were insane for a guy that that wasn't dunking the ball a great deal
0: yeah i would i would i I would love to see Dumars I just think defensively alone like he he would be a problem for just about everybody in the league yeah. and um it w- I would love to see like a uh uh some sort of I would love to see Joe Dumars versus LeBron James line it up let's see what happens uh let's get today's Joe versus today's LeBron and we'll see what happens
1: yeah well, he he could score on Jason Terry so i i guess joe dumars isn't that big of a stretch yep um so all right
0: that's uh that's going to do it for joe dumars part one thanks everybody for joining us today next week um i don't know what we're doing
1: we've Uh, got 2008 redraft
0: okay all right 2008 nba redraft russell westbrook versus derrick rose who's going number one it's going to be my choice next week and uh I think I know who I'm going with, but at the same time, I, I need to continue to look at it. This might be the hardest first overall pick that we've ever yeah, had.
1: I, I am really looking forward to, to who you're picking first for once.
0: It's 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 really hard because, yeah, I mean, Derek Rose, when healthy, before the injury, was like, I mean, he was unbelievable uh but then russell westbrook is like mr triple double and you can't you can't ignore that and uh it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one i'll be fighting with myself all week to figure that out but we will uh see you guys next uh next wednesday sorry for the late uh the late drop this week but uh we'll be back to our normal normal drops next week we'll see you then